Hey guys, Dylan from Art of the Float here to talk to you about our upcoming roundtable discussion on March 1st. I really want to see you there. It's going to be an exciting community event where we're going to be talking about defining your brand. We're getting good at water maintenance, we're getting good at soundproofing, but we're not great at filling up our float tanks with customers. Our industry's marketing game needs to improve, so we here at Art of the Float are hosting community roundtable discussions online to improve our marketing game. I think the most important thing about branding is the fact that it's the base for all of your marketing. Join Amy, Lance, myself, and the rest of the Float community as we get together and deep dive into what a brand is, how it benefits your business, and how it brings customers through your door. Defining your brand is our first roundtable experience of 2017, and we'll set you up for future marketing roundtables throughout this year. There's no need to waste your valuable time and money. This is a small investment that will potentially save you thousands of dollars and certainly hundreds of hours over the lifetime of your business. Go to artofthefloat.com forward slash roundtable and see our full list of roundtable discussions happening in 2017. Sign up now. And we'll see you on March 1st. Enjoy the show. You're listening to Art of the Flow. Welcome to Art of the Float, where float centers thrive. This is our weekly podcast that tells our stories of starting and running our own float centers while providing tips and insights along the way. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Art of the Float. And as always, you can join the conversation by leaving a speak pipe on artofthefloat.com. That's the gold bar on the left side of the screen. And also, as always, you can see show notes, links, pictures from any episode on artofthefloat.com as well. That's also where you can learn about our roundtable discussions that are currently going on as well. I am Dylan. I own the float shop with Sandra Calm in Portland, Oregon. I'm joined with Amy of Float Nashville and, of course, Lance of the Float Shack in Red Deer, Alberta, Canada. And uh, I'm excited to catch up on everybody's weeks here and talk, uh, talk with Justin Feinstein about uh, a very, very cool event. Uh, I don't know if we, we should call it an event, but if, uh, <laughs> something really cool coming out of Liber. And, uh, but before we get to that, I want to give um, a few shout outs here. One is just um, let you know that we are available for consulting. If you're interested in starting a float center or refining, refining your current float center, uh, again, go to artofthefloat.com and click on the consulting tab and uh, you can get in touch with us. Also, thanks everybody who's supporting us with the Amazon click-throughs. Those are uh, greatly appreciated, really help the show. And basically that just means you go to artofthefloat.com, go to products page and bookmark uh, the link there for whenever you shop on Amazon. Uh, it goes through a float referral link and a few, a few doubloons come our way and we really appreciate it. Also, before we get started, I want to give a shout out for California Float Concepts, these ridiculously exciting and cool uh, float tanks. It's actually known as the Orion Float Suite, which is nine feet, five inches by five feet, six inches. And maybe I need to do all of my research, but I'm pretty sure that's the biggest tank on the market uh, in, in a float tank size or a float cabin size. So um, anybody who wants to get athletes in there, get those basketball players in there, this is going to be a great float tank. It also has some crazy um, features to it that aren't even bonus features. They're built into it, like the fact that it has two pumps, two filters. And so if, if one of them, if one pump dies, it already has a redundant system built into it. Soundproofing is built into the float tank, which is a, a pretty unique experience or pretty unique for float tanks. And uh, also that flow meters come standard into a float tank as well. Like the the industry is catching up to the needs of us here. And so this tank is meeting you with what you need right away. Uh, so you can you can judge your, your rates of water flow through your float tank. 
If you are interested, you're going to want to go to cafloatconcepts.com. All right, guys. Amy, Lance, how are you doing this week? Fabulous. Tired, but fabulous. How come you're tired? How about, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Lance and I were talking before the show got started, mm-hmm. and we were both saying about how lately everything just kind of blends. The weeks just kind of blend into each other, and it's hard to even remember what happened this week. It's been... Uh-huh. Uh, it's been some long days, long days yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, we had the we had one of those phone calls this week that you never want to get, and it's an employee saying, uh, "All the lights in tank room three uh, are not working." Yeah. So, and those are connected we, to your Wi-Fi system, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah. It's it's uh, yeah. Actually, we did not. We were not able to put those lights in our open tank room due to the way that oh, our light okay. system in there is. Okay. But that's okay. Um, this was just good old salt. So we have this issue from time to time, Uh, the way that our lighting system was put in by someone who has no clue what a float center is. Uh, we do have salt to build up in our light system. And occasionally we have to call in the uh, electrician to clean that out, take care of that. And this time, even our air buttons were affected by the open tank. So... Uh, so we had to, you know, to the floats of shame where you have the little button press lights and you put them up there where the the uh, air buttons are. And we had to explain to people with our heads held low. Uh, nice. <laughs> so today you'll be floating with these two lovely battery powered lights. And uh, yeah, so we were late nights. The, the electrician would come early, early, early in the mm. morning. So we had to be there extra early oh, to nice. do fixes yep. and they had to order parts. So. Long, long week, and just one of those joys of float centers. So uh, one thing, nice job for having, um, I don't know if a redundancy is the right word, but for having a backup plan so that you can still Always. float people no matter what. The other <laughs> thing is, was the salt getting in the lights of, in like the ceilings or is it in the no, light switches? it was in the switch. Okay, yeah. It was in the switch. And I, what we've been doing, oh, please, sorry, go ahead. I, I just want to put it out there that I wrote a blog post a long time ago about how just standard light switches, anybody floating uh, just has salty hands and over mm-hmm. time it builds up. So take off your light switches every, I would say do it annually, maybe even every six months, turn off your power, take those off, test the power, make sure there's no no electricity going through that and, and blow out all that salt, brush it off, all that stuff. It builds up and eventually your buttons will actually be tough to push. That's probably your best sign that you need to do some cleanup. Yeah. And he was actually saying uh, for us to leave them alone, um, the electrician is. So, but normally we didn't get to this point where all the lights are out. And one (laughs) thing we have done that kept us from having this issue longer is we no longer let people use the light switch on the wall. We used Mm -hmm. to, there's a little dimmer switch, but what we were finding, just like you said, salty hands, they would touch the dimmer switch, salt would go in, it would be a big mess. Mm -hmm. So we have stopped them from utilizing that and that slowed up the issue. Um, But you know, another thing you said in that blog post, I remember this wow. which is amazing because I, I can't remember anything cool. else um <laughs> right. i remember you saying the same thing about uh, electrical boxes behind your uh where you plug in i believe oh, was sure. that the same was that the same uh, blog post or was that a different i think one? your memory might be better than mine amy um I, it's probably oh, the same one i mean yeah. it's going to get in there especially if it's around your float yeah. tank right another thing that needs to be yeah that does need to be done on a regular basis that yeah. can be a, a bad fire hazard but yeah so it was a it was a um yeah, we did the the float of shame. It was a it was a long week. That's this so week. funny. You're floating yeah. people giving giving good floats. Still, I don't think there's any any shame in that. But but I do understand when you want to hit a particular no mark. Fun. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, and now am I the only one that has issues with lights? We, sure. we, 
we've had issues with motion sensors because we use motion sensors for our shower mm-hmm. and shower fan. Um, people touching that, it seems to get into the motion sensor. And mm. some of our dimmers, we've had issues with them starting to make a sound, Uh-oh. like a buzzing sound. Oh. Um, but other than that, we haven't had any issues with salt buildup behind plugs or anything like that. Um, I know what you can get here in Canada because it's cold and we need stuff like this. <laughs> is when you take off your um, your faceplate for your uh-huh. plugins, uh-huh. you can get this sort of um, like seal, like a rubber seal yeah. that goes over. Yeah. And um, huh. you know, if anyone's having those issues, those seals would probably work really good. You can even put a dab of silicone around the edges, <laughs> and, and when you put it on, and the only point of entry is going to be where your actual prongs go. So, right. Um, that, that's yeah. a good but point. No, those have, do exist here in the in the U.S. Um, as well. <laughs> when, <laughs> yeah, I, I just like playing on the Canada thing, just <laughs> just because I can. Just because we have ketchup and all dressed chips and Americans don't. So we're gonna have to do we're a, going to soon. We're gonna do a live <laughs> this has been happening off the air. We're talking about ketchup and chips. It's a big thing in Canada. <laughs> the US is known for ketchup, but we don't have it in our chips. So we're gonna try that live on air at some point here. I'm sorry to digress. Please Lance. Uh, <laughs> I brought up the chips. Uh, I just wanted to say when we built our plugs, I, I believe we put everything about three feet up high. So all our plugins um, around the float tanks are a lot higher than uh, the rest of our plugins. Nice, cool. Yeah, I didn't do that. Probably probably should have. (laughs) That's smart. But uh, the the rubber um, around the and those those work with the switches too. That's a that's a very good Ah. idea. Absolutely. I'll I'll do my best to get those up on the show notes. Maybe an Amazon link, or if they're not on Amazon, somewhere so that people can see what those are for reference. Um, Yeah. What else is going on with you, Lance? Uh, Besides your lights dying. Well, with me. Oh, no, that was Amy. Yeah. That was Amy's Yeah, life. I'm sorry. You, I segue. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm new to this thing. Uh, I'm sorry. What's yeah, this? Yeah, no, it's all good. Um, with me, what's new? Um, I finally, today, you've heard me talk about this since November, but I finally la- launched our new monthly membership. Um, oh, wow. Cool. I'm just going to quickly break this down. Our old m- monthly membership that we had since day one was $49 a month. That got you one float a month. And every other float you did that month was forty nine dollars. Um, those credits never expired. We they could carry them over month to month. Um, we asked that they were used within a year. Sometimes it wouldn't happen, and we've had people build up <laughs> 10, 11, 12 credits, sure. and they're just not using the float tank like that membership was intended to be there for. Um, without developing that consistent practice, I don't believe mm. they're getting the full. I wouldn't say experience, but the full deal here. Um, So our new membership is the price of a single float. So it's at $69 a month. um, And they get two floats a month with this. Hmm. Um, But those two floats expire 30 days after it comes out. Um, So if their payment comes out today, they have to use those two floats within the month or they expire. And our whole mission behind this was to really, you know, get people to make it a part of their healthy practice. They're not doing it because they have a free evening. They're doing it because they want to help themselves. They're they're committed to us at the flow check and they're committed most importantly to themselves. Um, we're in this industry to help people and we want to give everyone the right tools to help themselves. So um, this new membership finally kicked off today. I think I, I got a couple in the bag, um, but I'm going to be pushing it hard for the next little bit. Cool. Nice. Um, I'm putting together some packages like Amy has where they get this folder with tips and tricks and 
all about their membership and some earplugs mm, and nice. just a nice little kit, some cool bumper stickers and things like that. Um, nice, yeah, cool. It's, it feels good to, to finally get that launched. I still got some work yeah. to do, but um, hopefully we'll see people a little more committed to the tank. So are you grandfathering in the people who are on the mm. previous plan? Uh, no, we're keeping um, that same one. We're not advertising it. Mm -hmm. um, so if anyone says, hey, that $49 one, uh, we can still do that. Um, I'll be calling all my members and asking them if they want to upgrade to the new one or if they want to stay with the one where the credits roll over. Um, but that's just a matter of making those phone calls and reaching out to our members. So um, Another cool thing about our membership is um, with every float they do, they get a free glass of kombucha. So we recently got some kegs of kombucha hooked up at the float shack from nice. Wild Child Brew. It's a friend of mine. He started uh, the first local brewery in central Alberta, and they're actually cool. right behind us. So um, people are loving it. Um, nice. we, tried the, we tried the cold juices a couple of years ago, the fresh-pressed juices, mm -hmm. and we were paying about $9 a juice, selling them for 12 Well, if we sold them. Right. We wouldn't really sell them. They just sort of... Yeah. sit there they're only good for three days and oh, then we'd wow. be drinking them on monday right. so we're right, drinking right. all these expensive <laughs> juices and they didn't work so uh the kombucha is good um we can have in the kegs for six months and it's still going to be there so um there's no issues of that going bad um do people know what it is or are you doing a lot of educating on what they are um when they when wild child came to central alberta or to red deer last year it was just like us bringing the float center to Red Deer for the first time. Sure. Their yep. biggest focus was education, right. education, right. education. <laughs> so uh, they did a great job at puncturing our community, and they're pretty. They're one of the the well known names in town cool. now. They're nice. they're active in the local business. They're always at farmers market. So, nice. um, yes, we still got the education on our side. Mm -hmm. As still, there's there's people coming and not knowing what it is, but. That's all. That's all part of the fun is is introducing yeah, people yeah. to somebody new and, oh, and yeah. watching that smile on their face, saying, "You know, I, I didn't think I'd like this stuff." And kombucha is a fun so. one, especially when you go into well, the details of what it is. When you talk about the big fungus <laughs> that's involved with the fermenting, yeah, scogies, scogie. Um, that's so yeah, right. <laughs> it's it's pretty cool stuff. Uh, like I said, we have it in kegs. We have it on tap. Mm -hmm. And how Wild Child works is it's a refill program. They're very mm. sort of forward thinking, sustainable. So you buy your glass growler and you fill it up um, as needed. So um, we're, since we're open so late and such long hours, we're the after hours um, fill station. So that's actually oh, driving, cool. should be driving some more business to us. Nice. And, and um, helping them out as well. So, and it works because we're pretty much neighbors. So we're right. always sending people Dude, that's awesome. I like that a lot. Nice. I like that. Yeah, very uh, excited. And like I said, it's, it's part of our perks for our membership mm -hmm, too. Mm -hmm. So, um, Yeah, you've been... You've been pumping that a lot on the show about how, yeah, yeah. you want the, the community aspect and you want all these these bonuses. Once you once you're part of this, you're part of this community and you get stuff out yeah, of it. You, so that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, you're not just you're not just signing up for a membership to get a discount on a float. Mm -hmm. You're you're part of something. You're part of the float club. You're part of the sensory spa. Lance, uh, you're not going to out of the park. That's so cool. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> but uh, just one more thing I want to touch please. on that happened this week. Um, sort of, sort of um, different. Uh, so we have waiver forms. We always tell people you can't come in if you, unless you, if you've dyed your hair in the last 10 days, please, you know, avoid from using the float tank. If it runs in towels, anything like that. Mm. Um, this lady goes in for her float. Matthew sort of suspected her hair was somewhat fresh, mm -hmm. um, sort of a reddish brownish color. And, uh, he goes into the float room and there's one little drop of hair stain on the tank. He's able to wipe that off. 
looks inside, no colors in the water, no colors in the tank. Our whole wall is stained with, with red hair dye. What? It stained our paint. Oh, my she word. She must have got out of the shower or wiped it off, but right beside the shower, it's it, the wall needs uh, to be repainted. No it's, way. It, yeah. The wow. hair dye di- oh. it didn't, didn't wreck the water, didn't wreck the shower, <laughs> didn't wreck the float tank, but for some reason, we got hair dye all over our wall. So I never would have expected that to happen. I'd expect to have red or, or brownie or yellow water, but meh. Nothing a little paint can't fix, I guess. Better than changing out water. <laughs> true. True there. That's a new one to me. Wow. Yeah, me too. Can Can I just ask you, going back to the gift certificate thing, I, I don't even know if I want to, if it's a question, but the um, I think it's somewhat controversial to have, particularly in the, the lovey nature of the float community, to have expiration dates on gift cards. And I have, I don't know, I want to say I've fallen in love with, but I think they're important if only to inspire people to use their floats. And so I, I like that you have an expiration on yours well, and your strategies. To, go ahead, please. I was going to say that's one thing. Gift cards. If someone buys a gift card, it is illegal in Canada for it to expire. A gift oh, card is you've mentioned that before. them yeah. coming in to buy the card and purchase it. But we are selling a membership or a service. It's mm-hmm. not a gift card. It's nothing like that. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I totally agree that the whole industry is sort of against these floats expiring. But then you look at your the end of the year, you run your numbers and you have twenty two thousand dollars in outstanding floats. You're going, yeah, I need to do something about this. Um, and, and that so person this is something. Oh, sorry. I to make it. It's going. like what you said, though, like if they're not using it, they're not getting the benefits from it. They're not experiencing it. They're not telling people about it. And yeah. so, yeah, you're making some money off of them. But that's that's not what. But there's not longevity to not that. It's not growing yeah. your business or the industry or no, even that person's development. You know, so this is just something we're trying to, you know, get those people in more frequently because, you know, like a, like you just said, it's it may be making us money, but we're giving them a discounted rate. Comes out in an auto pay, but they're not using it, so it's not actually claimed money. It's right. money that's that's out there, but it's not accounted for. Mm-hmm. So. In the end, we're not making money from it. If those float credits are sitting there, if there's $40,000 in gift cards out there, we're not making the money. Right. We need to make sure those people are redeeming those gift cards and redeeming those floats because when they use that, they're going to go out and talk in the community. You know, Tell their friends. Tell their family. Update on Facebook. All that fun stuff. So <laughs> make sure those people are redeeming those. <laughs> I, I'm right there with you, Lance. I'm right there with you. <laughs> Yeah, just, uh, just a, a little quick thing for for me is that I let you know last week we had to let an employee go. Super super sucks. It still is rocking Sandra and I and, and the whole shop. But the other thing that it means is that I am working hours at the shop, <laughs> and that's always fun because I don't know what I'm doing. It's really silly, and we have four float tanks now. I I stopped working there when we had three float tanks, so I'm just running around like a chicken with its head cut off, and really get to appreciate what our employees do, which is awesome. But honestly, the other really cool thing is just talking with uh, customers is something that I f- didn't realize how much I missed. And man, that came back to me instantaneously. Like there was a little bit of forgetting about, you know, what are the things that we talk about uh, before they go into the float room and what do we talk about in there? But just connecting with them. What are they doing here? Like um, and, and post float connect- connecting with them afterwards is so good. I had um, unfortunately forgotten about that and how much I love that. Um, as we've kind of moved on to the more macro managing of the business, which is a, a little bit sad, but also makes me think that Sandra and I should be working hours no matter what, 
at the float shop, no, no matter what level we're at, because it, it's it's so good, so valuable. And you just learn little ins and outs of how we could refine things, save money, or or just appreciate your employees, which is, I think, probably always valuable, too. So that, that, was, that was my week. Be- nice. Before we bring on Dr. Feinstein here, I want to give a shout out to Floathelm. Floathelm.com is where you want to go if you are interested in scheduling software that's designed from the ground up for a float center, which, of course, and I've, I've mentioned this before, it's it, not just scheduling software. It does everything. Scheduling, tracking your metrics, project management, a logbook, because everybody's not there at the same time. You can have these running dialogues uh, going at the same time. And all of this is within one suite, one UI that makes it completely usable uh, for all of your employees. And instead of having all these different tabs open or different pieces of software open, it's all in one. So that is so nice. Go to floathelm.com if you're interested in uh, checking it out. Dr. Feinstein, (laughs) welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys doing? I think uh, I think we're Amy's tired. <laughs> Lance is excited about his membership. I'm here. <laughs> uh, how are things in Tulsa, Oklahoma? You know, we're we're surviving. Oh yeah. Uh, this 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 week, I think uh, our average temperature is going to be in the high seventies. Oh, good for and, you. Uh, well then, you know, <laughs> a real hard winter. Oh my God! I had compared no to com, compared to Iowa, where I used to live, yeah. um, for graduate school, uh, this is this is a cakewalk. I can't believe that. But but things have been good. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been really digging deep into the clinical research. Excellent, and I want to talk to you about that. Um, but first, I want to get into the reason that you wanted to be on the show today, and. Let's get into some really, really fun stuff here. Could, do you want to introduce the audience to, to the idea of what well, we're doing tonight? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we have an interesting opportunity that has recently emerged. And uh, essentially, our laboratory manager, who, who's been doing an excellent job uh, the past several years, is moving on to get her PhD in psychology. And going to be going to a very uh, esteemed school. Awesome. And um, <laughs> we'll, we'll uh, certainly be missed by the lab, mm. but uh, it's in a very, very important position. Uh, the lab manager uh, really is sort of the glue that, that binds all of these nuanced details together that go into a research lab. And it's really a critical role for our lab. And then to add to that, because we're starting to dig deep into the clinical research, we are ready to launch our first clinical trials. And so I'm viewing this position as actually a dual role Hmm. of both lab manager, but also clinical trial coordinator. Oh, interesting. And so this is going to be a major role. Obviously, uh, you're going to need a very uh, talented, multifaceted, person to to fill this position but it's an opportunity i think of a lifetime because we will be conducting the first real clinical trials for floating and anxiety and so this is this is an exciting moment i think uh, to really get a sense of what are the long-term implications of a uh, a routine float 
uh, practice. Mm -hmm. And what could it do for the person above and beyond just, say, getting rid of symptoms? Could it, could it actually enhance their life and well-being in a way that other therapies perhaps are incapable of doing? And so we're going to be tracking all of these things in the clinical trial. It's, it's going to be a longitudinal trial. And people will come in and they're going to float, but then we're going to keep following them. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see uh, precisely how long these effects actually last for. Wow. Very exciting. Very <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm distracted now because I want to talk about two different things. I want to talk about the clinical research and I want to talk about the fact that there's a, a job opening. I'm going to go with the job opening for now. <laughs> and I want to get more into what it entails um, because we're, we're talking about the Laureate Institute for Brain Research and we're talking about the premier location for float research. And as far as I'm aware, the only place that is currently doing float research. Is that right, Justin? Well, I would say we're, we're really the only place doing neurobiological float research okay. that, that may be changing. I think mm -hmm. uh, there's definitely some laboratories that are thinking about it. And, mm -hmm. and I've been encouraging them to do so and sort of consulting as well. Oh, cool. The... Um, but yeah, the truth is there really isn't enough float research. Uh, as it stands, we're, we're, we really are the only people doing it. Mm -hmm. And my hope is with, with more research, more publications, and more rigorous uh, clinical trials, you're going to see Western medicine and all the different researchers that are involved in Western medicine really getting excited about this. Cool. Um, I've... I have high hopes that in addition to, to that, you're going to get the whole health insurance industry uh, excited as well. Uh, if the results bear out some of the anecdotal reports that you guys are, are witnessing. Mm -hmm. And so that's why this research is so important is you, you need to set an objective precedent for anecdote. You need right. to be able to, to, uh, actually set up a standardized protocol that could be replicated and you really need it to address the sort of questions that doctors and clinicians and mental health professionals are going to have on their mind mm -hmm. and first and foremost is safety mm -hmm. so all of this research is really going to be focused on those sort of basic issues and it, you know my hope is this is going to be sort of the seminal work to really advance this as a therapeutic uh, sort of practice and that's that's going to be an exciting moment I feel like that's amazing for our industry um, and and you think that would also be a catalyst for more people wanting to do float research float research as well absolutely I, I think a lot of research is like that people wait mm -hmm. for somebody to demonstrate a clear effect and then they go out and try to replicate it and if they replicate it, more people come in and say, okay, there's a real effect here to be had. And they start investigating it and parsing it and going after uh, uh, the nuances of the mechanisms right. behind it. But that's how you start something. You have to build a science. And as you build the science and demonstrate the effect, more scientists will follow. And that's my uh, real hope, actually, is that we're going to be able to, to do very rigorous science, uh, measure things that uh, before, uh, beforehand have been impossible to measure in this environment, mm -hmm. and really look to see where the effects are. And 
we're not uh, necessarily going to find effects in everything we're looking at, hmm. but we are going to find effects where the biology says they are. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we're, we're doing is we're looking for the, the data to be our compass and we're looking for the patients to be our compass. Hmm. Interesting. And uh, so I view this, this position as really uh, the critical person to allow our lab to have the organizational structure to do this. Uh, they, they will be uh, the person that binds all of these details together. Well, you've got me excited and inspired to want to be in that position. I don't think I could handle it in the first place. When, when you had talked to us about it, Sandra and I were like, I mean, not, not that you asked us to join, but we we're like, should we apply for this? Like, uh, should we move to Tulsa? Wait, wait, we have a brick and mortar business in Portland and a new baby. We can't do this. But it's so exciting to be part of this or even potentially be part of that. It, it's absolutely incredible. I mean, what you're talking about is just being on the complete vanguard of all of this research. And that, that just blows my mind. Um, it, it just blows my mind. So what, what does that look like for somebody who would apply for this position? What would their day-to-day look like? And what would their responsibilities look like? Well, maybe we could start by talking about a personality type for okay. this position. Okay. Because to me, I think there, there's a very specific personality type that would, would, would thrive in this position. Hmm. And the idea here is you need to understand that the way a clinical trial works is it's all about recruitment and retention. Those are kind of the two key words. You have to find the patients, and then once they start the clinical trial, you have to keep the patients Mm -hmm. in the clinical trial. Um, Or at least try try your best to to make sure that uh, they're showing up and they're not dropping out because you haven't been calling them and staying organized. Mm. So it's it's, it's a major role because at any given moment, you could have potentially uh, uh, dozens of patients in the clinical trial. And each week, they could be floating, you know, one or more times. Mm -hmm. And it's your job of coordinating all of that. You have to speak to them on the phone, Uh, talk to them about what is floating. That will be the first conversation that patient has probably had ever about floating. And you're dealing with a population of patients who by their, the nature of their disorder are extremely anxious. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're anxious socially, so they can't really deal well with Mm -hmm. other people. In other cases, they're, uh, they're anxious just about new experiences that have uncertainty involved in them, right? And so by the nature of their condition, they're avoidant of that uncertainty and oftentimes will uh, purposefully avoid anything that sounds a little off or a little strange or a little weird. Mm-hmm. And these, in fact, could be the very patients that need floating most, right? So you really need that clinical trial coordinator to understand the nuances of what floating is and what it's not. To, to be able to hear any signs of hesitation in that patient's voice and implicitly address them on the phone right there and then and say, you know, I get the sense that you're thinking that you're not in control. And let me tell you, 
you're in complete control. Right. In fact, we set this up so you don't even have an enclosure in the float pool. It's wide open. <laughs> you could get in and out whenever you want. You could turn the lights on and off. We've created a wave detector. So while you're floating, if you want to have the lights on, you just wave your hands in the air. And they nip that in the butt, right? Yeah. They, as soon as that patient hears that, they go, oh, really? Nice. I'm thinking I'm in a small box and I'm not able to get out. No, no, no. That's not what's happening at all. And you have to really engage them in this conversation. It, 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 you know, to commit your life, uh, at least a temporary piece of your life, to a clinical trial is a big commitment. Hmm. You're signing up for something, even though you're not paying for it. It's an experimental research treatment, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have data to say that this is going to help you or not. We can't make any promises that this is going to help you or not, but we need you to be coming in, you know, a few times a week for the next few months yeah. and commit a substantial chunk of your life to do this. Totally. And when you're dealing with naturally avoidant people, as most people with anxiety are, this is a very hard proposition. You know, you're going to get a lot of patients who are going to have trouble buying into this. Mm -hmm. And in fact, in some of our early clinical research, this is what we're seeing. Is that right? We're seeing that the barrier to entry into treatment is very hard with this population. Mm -hmm. That first float mm -hmm. has so much anticipatory anxiety that oftentimes it's just too much to handle and they never make it in. I, I got to say, I can't be the only one listening and, and hearing the parallels between your center and our businesses. These The things you're describing are so similar to us of uh, wanting to create that safe space for anybody coming into the float center, including people with anxiety. Uh, and some people who are being, you know, maybe drug in there, uh, dragged in there by a, a loved one, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then also that just uh, getting them in the door again, the follow through with them as well. Uh, the things you're describing is like, oh yeah, Justin runs a float center. It's not, it, I, I sometimes I think it's this other thing but it's very it's, similar. It's very similar. You know, a lot of the patients who are going to float centers have anxiety. I mean, mm -hmm. anxiety is so ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. I talk about it at every conference. But just by base rates alone, a quarter to a half of the population is going to have some degree of anxiety. It's amazing. And so it's going to be a significant proportion of people coming in for floating that have some degree of anxiety that they're suffering from and could be getting better with the, the continued practice. Now, I think part of, uh, of the struggle is getting them into the door, as we discussed, getting them through that barrier of entry. Mm -hmm. Once they're floating, mm -hmm. once they've actually developed that inner courage to, to, to go past uh, that threshold and actually get into the pool, it's like a light switch goes off. <laughs> and suddenly they realize, as I realized actually when I had my first float, that all of that anticipatory anxiety that went into this experience is actually the exact opposite of what it turns out to be. And it's, you know, I remember audibly laughing 15 minutes into my first float <laughs> when I sort of had that moment of recognition. And oh, wow. the truth is every patient we've had in so far for the study has asked to come back for the next study. That is amazing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wow. Can we pause for a second right there? That is a tremendous bit of information right there because that's the whole fear, right? Particularly with a group that has anxiety, the fact that they would see the benefit and want to come back or, or not have negative uh, a negative experience during their float. They're going into a space where they experience nothing. Like you said, that's that sounds like anxiety in a nutshell, right? Like what's going to give you more anxiety than that? Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Or did you expect to see that? 
you know, ever since I decided to shift my, my research into flotation, my theory has always been that anxiety is one of the quintessential conditions that could be treated with a practice of floating. And I think it could also uh, um, help the people who don't just suffer from maybe garden variety anxiety like a good chunk of the population, but the people who are suffering so much that they can no longer function in life. The people who uh, have no uh, home to live in, uh, the people who have no job to work at, the people who have no relationships, no significant other, that's how much the anxiety and oftentimes the depression has hijacked their life. Mm -hmm. And these are the people who we've been bringing in. Okay. Uh, we focus on the, the people who, who have so severely been impaired by their mental health issues that they can no longer take care of themselves. Okay. And what's been really eye-opening to me, and you know, we started doing this right around Christmas time, um, and, and basically all through the holidays in the past uh, month, we've been continuing this. But I'll have marathon sessions where I'll test uh, four or five patients a day sometimes. And I'll always interview them beforehand, and I'll interview them after the float is over. Okay. And clinically speaking, because I, I work with a lot of patients over the years, clinically speaking, I have been awestruck by the disparity between the pre-float and post-float person I'm interviewing. <laughs> totally. It, it, it's like an entirely different person completely. Um, the prosody of their voice, uh, the emotion that's being expressed on their, on, on their face, um, their body posture, it all shifts from pre to post-float in this way that you don't even need to, to hear them speak. You just see it. it, it it's mm -hmm. really remarkable. And, you know, one of the patients actually said this to me um, during the debriefing interview. I asked her a little bit more about uh, what this float meant to her, what it taught her about herself. And this was a, a woman who um, had extremely severe PTSD, and she was assaulted, and she didn't float very long. In fact, when she got out of the pool, I was a little worried that, you know, maybe something went wrong. Why did she right. get out so early? And I see her afterwards, and it's like a totally different person. She's smiling. She's talking to me. She couldn't even make eye contact before the float. Oh, wow. And I asked, you know, why'd you uh, get out early? And she goes, oh, you know, I had a few cuts on my back that I actually uh, didn't realize. And um, the salt was stinging a little bit, and I didn't know they were there. And so I decided it would be best to get up. And she said that 20 minutes was, was one of the most relieving 20 minutes I've had in the past year. And she goes, I can't tell you what this did for me. It, it connected me. These were her words, actually. Uh, they're kind of ingrained in me right now. But she said, it connected me to a side of myself that I thought had died. Wow. And it didn't take long to do it. She was only in there for a short period of time. But it flipped a switch 
And it allowed her to realize that a side of her that she had really believed no longer existed actually was alive and well. And she reconnected, at least for a moment, with that yeah. side of herself. <laughs> and so, you know, the, it's those sorts of experiences that you realize are, are very profound. Mm -hmm. You don't normally see that in clinical practice. Um, I would work with a patient like that for a year before I might be able to, to see some of those uh, epiphanies, huh. right? You could, you could have a, a psychoanalysis going on for decades before the patient would say, oh, that side of myself is still there. It still exists. It's alive. But here we, we in a very short period of time, gave that person a direct personal contact with that side, that experience. And there's nothing more important than that, that direct contact. You know, I always, I always tell this to other people who are psychotherapists, but words are not going to cure anything. Words mm. do no justice to mental illness. I think words are a big reason why we have mental illness, our own thought process and cognition. But experience is really what's going to help resolve mental illness teaching people how to to nice. to, to to experience life in a new way and connect with a side of themselves that has been beaten down to a pulp by life and that's typically what happens in cases of ptsd okay Wow, that's so beautiful. That's so amazing. Uh, we're all choked up here. That's absolutely incredible. I've I've had people come out of the tank like that before where they'll be in for their first float and they'll be a half an hour in and I hear the shower and they come out and I'm waiting for this big, right. oh no, I hated it. It wasn't for me, but they come out and there's just that blissful look on their face where you knew... I don't, I don't need to ask. I don't need to go there. You, you look good. And they sit down and they <laughs> smile and they feel good. You're like, oh, it, it's amazing what it can do. And it, it's a wonderful thing to see. Those of you who don't own a float center yet or are planning mm -hmm. on starting one, mm -hmm. um, seeing that glow or that look on some of these people's faces, um, it, it, it's a beautiful feeling. It, it truly is. Absolutely. And that's why we do it. That's right. Well, that you know, that's why a lot of doctors do what they do too. And, mm -hmm. and in some ways, uh, you know, for me, this has been very fulfilling because, um, you know, my degree is a clinical degree, and potentially, you know, I could make a private practice and just spend my life seeing mm -hmm. patients, right? Mm -hmm. But having chosen a career in research, you sometimes miss that direct patient uh. contact. And so for me, it's been actually very exciting to be able to conduct these initial clinical studies and make sure everything goes very safely and really uh, work in a nice way with the patients, getting to, to learn more about who they are and, and how this experience has affected them. So can I ask you, and I'm, I'm worried that like you, you won't be able to answer the question because it's you don't want to make any claims. So I'll just put it out there and you answer it how you want to answer it, which is, is it the, the lack of sensory input that's coming in? Is it a physiological change that happens because of the environment? Is it magnesium? I mean, why, why in 20 minutes is somebody with PTSD having such a profound, beautiful experience? Well, I think 
you know, as a disclaimer, uh, I think I'm sure people who've listened this far in are, are realizing this, but this is early research. This is preliminary research. Mm-hmm. By the time of this year's Flow Conference, we should have a lot more data and a lot more subjects, a lot more patients. Sure. And and we'll be able to speak in, in much stronger terms about what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, suffice to say, we are seeing some nice preliminary results like the story I just told you. Mm-hmm. And I do think that in the more severely impaired patients, the ones who really are incapable of functioning, it's amazing what just taking a little bit of the edge off will do to allow them to function. You know, they're, they're basically living their life at this precipice, right? And they're not able to just pull it all together. Mm-hmm. And then you just take off a little of that edge and then like, okay, I could function. I could do this again. And so I think in the more severely impaired, anxious patients that we've been seeing, that seems to be the case where you don't need the full sensory reduction. You don't necessarily need the lights off. You don't necessarily need the full, you know, 60 minute or 90 minute float. You just need to get in there and just take a little of the edge off. Right. And I think there's, there's perhaps some interesting science to study there because I always assume floating was sort of a slow linear process where the longer that you're in there for and the Mm. more immersed you were in the sensory reduction, uh, the more profound the effects. But Mm. I think we may have to re-evaluate that idea when it comes to the very severe populations. They may just need a little bit and you get a lot. In, re- cool. in response to that. So is that, well, I guess we don't know, but is that just them stepping out and taking that time to themselves? Could be. Like just, just, you know, shutting the world down and list turning inwards or just... It, it could be, but, you know, self. we're going to have control conditions where we actually yeah. look at that. And mm-hmm. and my own sense is, I think the, the, the float environment in it, all of its... Uh, ingredients is an important part of this. I don't think mm-hmm. it's yeah. just about stepping aside by yourself for a little bit. It's being by yourself in that environment. That was one of the cool things we learned at the at last year's float conference was yeah. that there was there was a what did we what was the our favorite word a st- statistically significant difference between people who are floating in a float tank and people who were in. Um, I think chair. float chair. The zero gravity yeah. chair. Zero zero yeah. g chair. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Uh, let's get back to let's get back to employment, shall we? Uh, <laughs> I, I just want to, I oh, want to ask wait. something before we go too far off. You said you said everybody that was in your first trials wanted to come back for the next. So far, absolutely, yeah, it's been so really the, it's been really eye opening to me because it was so hard to get them in to the first one. I was thinking, <laughs> oh boy, this is going to be an uphill battle. But right, fact, yeah. Once you get them past that barrier of entry, what we've found so far is it's been an overwhelmingly pleasant experience and and i would say that uh it was surprisingly so uh both for me but also for the patient yeah Yeah. now from a from a float center owner or business owner's point of view of that you have a 100 percent retention rate (laughs) um well that brings be careful though because they don't pay me anything you know, I know, we, I know. We, That's we pay, one thing. We pay them actually for being in the research. <laughs> so these are these I'm are not just my business plans. 
No, I understand <laughs> that, but um, to, to rewind this up a bit, when you were saying um, the person you want to take this job, you want them to be able to, to pick out these things on the phone, to, to be able to read um, the person they're talking to um, and fully educate them on the float tank. Now, we talk a lot um, on this podcast and, and through Float Collective about running and building our centers, but I think a lot, something that a lot of us may, may lack in it is the psychology or, or how to actually talk to somebody, how to read somebody. I, I, is there some sort of like entry, entry course or, or maybe we do a roundtable on, on the psychology of talking to people? Because for me, I, I read some random books and think I know how to read mm. people or understand people, but I don't. I don't know anything, but it, I think I think that may have a huge factor for the way you talk to the, your clients or floaters, mm -hmm. and how they want to come back. And you're you're helping them grow that experience or well, build that experience. Well, this is actually a really good point you bring up, and it and it goes back to that personality type I was referring to. Mm -hmm. There are people who are extremely intuitive. Uh, mm -hmm. one person who comes to mind, uh, that you might know Dylan is your wife Yeah, <laughs> where it's like she could be with a patient and she could tell what that patient's element is almost before that patient even opens their mouth and says what the element is. And it's like that split second intuition mm. that really is something you can't train. It, it's, you either mm. have it or you don't. And you know, doctors refer to it as bedside manner. You always hear that, mm. that word bedside manner, that doctor really has good bedside manner. They communicate well. They, they seem like they are empathic and they understand what I'm going through. And it all happened very naturally, right? Those sorts of people are, are somebody who would uh, fit really well in this position. Who could, who could be in a room with somebody or be on the phone with somebody and just sense a little bit of hesitation or a little mm. bit of maybe anxiety lurking in the background and just try to address it in a very non-confronting way. Mm. And so you really need to have that personality type where you could talk to people very nonchalantly, very non-confronting, and they could really clearly... Uh, feel this connection with you and you know I think float center owners and employees will immediately recognize who this type of person is mm -hmm. so if you're not sure yourself you could probably go ask your colleagues <laughs> yeah. and and they'll have a sense because when you see somebody like this you're impressed mm -hmm. you know it's it's not a skill that a lot of people have and it's not a skill uh, Lance that I think could be easily learned I think you could yeah. you could pick up on subtle cues and mm -hmm. you hear you, you see all these books about emotional intelligence and stuff and it's like man could I pick <laughs> up my EQ could I make it could I make it uh, go way up by reading these books and the truth is so many of these processes are happening unconsciously they're just sort of uh -huh. natural and intuitive uh -huh. that you can't train it it's just like you either have it or you don't yeah. and so and we're really looking for somebody who has that people's that that people skill that real sort of warm social connection and ability to allay the fears and concerns of all these anxious patients we're going to be testing and you know as part of this you know you're going to be introducing floating to these to the lives of these people and if the clinical trial goes well as we hypothesize that might be the very first time 
they hear about something that they practice till they die. You know, this this could be a lifelong practice. <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> and so you're introducing that lifelong practice to them, and it's very important that they have a good first impression because that oftentimes is what makes or breaks it for somebody with severe anxiety. Mm. And They'll bail as soon as they don't like it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I bring that up is I think they're, you know, a lot of people get into the industry of floating because mm. they like to be by themselves. They, they're, they may be introverted. They don't, they're not people persons. <laughs> um, and, you know, there may be a lot of people suffering um, not being able to retain those clients or not being able to introduce them properly just because they don't understand how to properly communicate. I know it's something I've been personally trying to work on since day one. I went from a heavy-duty mechanic to Mm. health and wellness and interacting with people all day, and I'm still trying to learn and grasp onto this. But sometimes there are people that come out of the tank, and you can tell they're sort of uneasy about that experience. Um, But it may be difficult to to point out what that is, or I don't want to poke them in the wrong way. I can't really mm-hmm, mm-hmm. understand them. And, um, it's hard. It's it, a hard I'm feeling skill. this. I'm assuming there's a lot of other float center owners and operators that are, you know, experience the same thing. And, and I got to say just, uh, also people who are in it just for the money as well, aren't going to be connecting. <laughs> just going to put it out there. It just, it, it, it huh. If that's what attracted you to the industry, you're not going to be drawing clients in the same way. It's just not the same connection. Um, but, but uh, just that we're we're on this this topic here. I just want to mention that this is. I mean, that's kind of why Justin is on the show here today is to reach out to the float industry specifically. Somebody who has experience with floating potentially has experience of working with clients. And like he said, you could talk to to your coworkers or the co owners and and. Uh, ask, do I, do I have this skill set? And you'll probably know in, intuitively that you have it already as well. But yeah, we, he, well, and, and Justin, please, you can, can elaborate further, but, but are, is looking for somebody coming from within the industry and knowing the experience of, of the float? I think it, it's so important, you know, in many ways, research is a passion project because you, you put your whole life into a, into a study. You know, you, you, you think of every possible scenario, you think of every uh, 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 minutia that could go wrong, and you try to really prepare and, and address it ahead of time. And once you launch a study and once it goes, you know, that's your life. And, and we need somebody who's really passionate about floating to take this role because it's going to be a long, hard-fought battle you know a clinical trial takes many years it takes uh, a lot of uh, uh, sort of perseverance and persistence you know you're trying to track somebody for their one-year follow-up and they've moved three times you have to be able to to track that person down so you could get their one-year follow-up um you know you're you're, you have a, a patient who has called three times to reschedule, and you're going to have to have the patience to call them back without an attitude and say, right. you know what, why don't we give it one more shot? Fourth time's a charm. Yeah. And it's that sort of really emotionally stable person who's extremely passionate about floating, extremely empathic to suffering, that is going to flourish in this job. And it's, it's not a role for everybody. I could tell you it's going to take somebody who's extremely well-organized, 
it's going to take somebody with a strong attention to detail. And if you're not well organized and you don't have a, a strong attention to detail, don't even think about it. You're not going to enjoy this at all. You're, you're going to be juggling and multitasking all day long, working with multiple patients simultaneously, and really being the glue that binds everything together in a functioning sense, both the laboratory's organization, but also the clinical trials uh, itself. So exciting. Now, what, what are like the educational requirements yeah. of this? I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I passed science. No, was it social studies? I think I passed science, and I also <laughs> spent four years in college as a mechanic. Can, can I take this job or...? Well, you know, I, I, I would say that we would want somebody with at least a college level of education only because, only because there, there are going to be some aspects of sort of, sort of technical aspects that uh, may be harder to train if somebody's not technologically savvy. Now, if you didn't have a college education and you were technologically savvy and you had all of those skills that we just spoke about, I think we could certainly make exceptions. I think more than an education lens, what we're looking for in this position is somebody with good people skills, honestly, and mm -hmm. good organizational right. skills. Organization. That, yeah. that, that is actually way more important than your skill set and education, to be honest. Cool. And a lot of the, the things that are going to be uh, uh, done in the lab could be easily trained, but the people skills, they can't be. And that's what we've learned at the float shop too. That that's such a critical thing, right? You can you can get the processes down, but it's the interactions with the clients and, and other employees that's so pivotal. And it, yeah, like Lance, you were talking about reading a book, like getting some tips. And it's like I think I think you can get better if you have your intention there. But just mm -hmm. in general, I, I kind of agree. Wow. It's like kind of you have it or you don't. Well, I think it's, I, I've watched my employees grow over the years if they've talked to clients and things like that. I think it's definitely something you can improve on. Every day cool. I'm improving on things. So sure. It's, you know, and like I said, the customer, the customer interaction, I think is half the part of what we do at, at my business. Um, half of it's the float, half of it's the sure. customer yes. interaction. So it's yep. very important. Um, and, and, and the same with research, honestly, because... Uh, you know, the, the way to retain yep. people in a study is they have to mm -hmm. feel like they're in a safe space. Yeah, they're comfortable. And, and as soon as they lose that level of comfort, you're going to lose them as a patient. Well, can I ask? So, so I'm, I'm concerned that, um, so if you're doing the intro and the outro and you connect very well with people, uh, is there a risk to replicating this if they're talking to me and I'm not, you know, I, I talk over them and I'm, I don't connect very well. And I'm, I'm conducting the next research, uh, out of, out of Oregon, out of Portland, Oregon, then I might not get the same results because I'm not connecting the same way. Is that a concern that you have in, in future research? It, it absolutely is. And, you know, one of the things we've, we've been very diligent about, in fact, uh, we were, we we're chatting about Carl earlier. Um, <laughs> he helped, me uh, uh, build a, a introductory video mm -hmm. um, and actually did a really good job. I think it's up to around 13 minutes now, so it's a long <laughs> introductory. So we're trying to standardize a lot of this. Oh, cool. I think Got it. There, mm -hmm. there's, there's going to be an aspect of, of human interaction that you can never just get rid of completely, but we are trying to standardize a lot of it. And that's uh, the hope when we get to the point of a clinical trial is 
most of it will be standardized, and then when someone tries to replicate, they just could use the same materials. Got it. Will you also be doing the intros and the outros, or, or will this new employee be doing those? You know, one of my hopes with this new employee is they're going to be a key person for the intros specifically, that first float, sort of, they'll mm -hmm. be that person escorting them from the beginning phone call to, hey, would you like to try this new research study we're doing? All the way to here they've arrived, and now you're going to sort of escort them through that first float. So somebody who's really good at float introductions and feels like they're able to connect with people and, and reduce some of their fears going into the experience is going to find this part of the job really easy. So you had, I think you had mentioned to me before that this, um, this position will be open somewhere around May, June, is that, is that correct? That's right. So our, our current lab manager will be leaving for graduate school this summer. Okay. And um, we're hoping to get the, the new uh, lab manager slash clinical trial coordinator in uh, to be trained sometime in May or June is, is currently what I'm, I'm aiming for. And, and do they, is it a, well, how do I put it? Like, is it a six month gig? Is it a year long gig? How, what's the timeline of this, this job? Well, to be honest, uh, uh, it's a long-term commitment. Okay. I need somebody who, who could, who could uh, really come for, for the long haul. You know, I moved my entire life and family out to Tulsa, Oklahoma to start this laboratory. And clinical research and really clinical trials is, is the key to any sort of uh, penetration into a way that this could actually have an impact. And it's going to take many years to conduct these clinical trials. And the first clinical trial is always uh, uh, going to be uh, one of the hardest, right? But you can't just stop right after the first one's over. If you find something interesting, you have to follow it up. You have to replicate. You have to expand. You have to see if you could improve upon the effect. And so the way I view our research at the Float Clinic and Research Center at, at, at Laureate Institute I view it as a marathon, and we're just getting going. We're on mile, you know, two or three here, and there's a long ways to go. We, cool. we finished building the lab. We finished getting all of the, the physiological equipment ready for recording every, all the uh, rich biological variables we're going after. But now it's time to actually do the clinical research. Now it's time to seize the day, and I need a person who, who really is, is willing to help uh, help us seize it, to, to really go after it in, in a way that uh, somebody who maybe has never floated before, somebody who's just a clinical trial coordinator but has no understanding mm. of why floating is potentially beneficial, right, right. they would never be able to do this. Yeah, yeah, totally. Hmm. Uh, I want to keep going here. I do want to take just a break for a moment to give a shout out to Float Away, another one of our sponsors here who's uh, been with us since gosh like episode one or two something like that they've they've been so loyal to us and we appreciate it so much float away makes a beautiful beautiful float around float tanks which is where i've had my most incredible float tanks which just happens to be at justin's dr feinstein's uh center at liber uh would would you say the float arounds <laughs> i'm gonna pull you into my ad here i don't know if that's okay or not but out, out of all the places that you floated do you prefer floating out of your center Oh, of course, you're spoiled. But 
I think what happens when you, when you really start floating in a lot of different centers and different tanks is you become a, a very uh, Snob. sort of picky, <laughs> picky uh, like a connoisseur in a yeah, way that, you, you know, the, small, the smallest perturbations really fluster you, <laughs> whereas right. like the average person is like, oh, really? I didn't notice that. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the float around is great. I don't know how many people are aware of of this but it's as far as i know the only circular float pool in the world mm-hmm. um i love the the notion of a circular pool because it really allows you to feel unfettered and free um, i do find uh, the rectangular shaped pools you know you you kind of have your space and that's it in a circular pool you're you're free to to roam around you do have some interesting uh sort of feelings of movement maybe more so in a circular pool but the other nice thing i love about the circular pool is the self-centering effect um i know there as people get more experience in the in the rectangular type pools and and the pod shape shape pools they could find a, a way to not touch the sides but almost everyone i've been in i'm finding myself throughout the float bumping into the sides Whereas in a circular pool, I could be floating for hours without ever encountering any any solid surface, and and that's the neat part of the circular piece is these waves, these concentric waves, move out of your body with each breath when you're totally still, and as the waves bounce off the uh, side of the circular pool, they bounce back in and keep you centered, and it allows you to actually float for many hours without ever having to come out of that experience even momentarily when you bump into a side. So I do think the circular pools are, are a great boon for us that uh, the patients have loved them. And I think they've certainly helped reduce the barrier to entry. Uh, one of the things we have been doing is, is actually texting all the patients a picture of the circular pool before the flow. Oh, nice. <laughs> and, Say, you know, when we talk about floating, all we're really referring to is this open, you know, circular pool, which kind of looks like a giant jacuzzi. And all you're going to have to do is, you know, just lay in that water and uh, essentially you're going to get paid for that. And most of the patients who <laughs> who see that could say, OK, this isn't nearly as bad as I originally thought. Best clinical trial ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sign me up. Nice. Oh, that was an ad. Right. By the way, uh. <laughs> www.floataway.com is where you want to go to check them out. And um, if you're coming into the float conference this year, um, uh, Zen, uh, gosh, I can't think of Charlie's float center, the name of his float center opening up, but he has float arounds here in Portland uh, and he's not open yet, but he'll be open easily by the time the float conference is around. So if you want to check out one of these float arounds, they'll be here in Portland uh, when you come in for the float conference, just so you guys know. So that'll be really cool. Uh, <laughs> thanks for sharing, Justin. Thank you. Uh, is there anything else that you want to share specifically about this job, um, either requirements for it or what the expectations will be while they're here or there? <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, um, we are finding that, uh, in general, a lot of the patients seem to be preferring evening floats. And I'm sure float centers probably see a very similar pattern with a lot of their customers. I'm sure evening times are probably oftentimes the most booked times. And a lot of our patients, of course, suffer from insomnia, which is a very common symptom of anxiety. And the PTSD patients suffer from nightmares as well. 
And mm-hmm. so I think having evening floats has maybe a higher potential to help with some of those sleep issues. And I think it would be nice if, uh, if the person had some flexibility to be able to work on evenings and night times mm-hmm. on occasion, not necessarily every day, but maybe a few days a week. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, another uh, um, important aspect of this job is going to be the maintenance of the laboratory. You know, you're, you're the laboratory manager. That means you manage the entire operation of the lab. So you're going to be in charge of making sure both of our float pools, we have two open and a closed uh, float around, or what we call our tranquility pools. And uh, those pools and their cleaning, you're going to be in charge of. Now, you will have um, some undergraduate student volunteers working underneath you helping, and so it's not just you doing all of the cleaning, but it's really going to fall under your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And somebody who's worked at a float center, knows the cleaning operations, knows the importance of cleanliness, will do very well in this job. And cleanliness is extremely important because we're working with people who, on average, tend to have high levels of OCD-like symptoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're not specifically targeting OCD in our patients right now, but some of them have that that propensity. And so cleanliness is paramount. And so I think finding a a person who could actually help manage that aspect of the lab is something we're going to be looking at closely. And then I think uh, the final thing uh, I want to say is, you know, I think... If you have past experience working with patients, it would be a very big plus. I'm not saying that if you don't, you can't have this job, but I think anybody who has any clinical work, either in a hospital setting or some medical or therapeutic setting, where they've worked with patients, encountered patients at some level, you don't have to, uh, it doesn't even have to be a high level, that could be a big positive. Okay. Anything else that you wanted to share about that? Um, Requirements? I think that's it. Um, You know, I I hope that gives people a flavor of of what we're looking for. If there's anybody who ever has uh, questions or um, is curious about whether they might be a good fit, I think, you know, Dylan, you would be a good person to kind of uh, chat with them about that. Maybe you and Sandra uh, could could sort of help address some of those questions that may come up. Yep, I think uh, that's that's exactly exactly what we've been kind of talking about is kind of being the first barrier to entry, if you will, and also to be a bit of a a guide to any like like you said, just if anybody has any questions, wants clarification on this. Um, Sandra and I will be that um, that kind of first intro to applying to a position at LIBOR. And so if you're interested, uh, you're going to want to email jobs at floatshop.com. So you're going to want to put in the subject line, L-I-B-R lab manager. And if it doesn't say that in the subject line, we're, we're not going to be taking that application. We're not going to be moving forward with it. So make sure that's in there uh, for us to, to read your email. And again, so you can email that just to find out more information. But really, this is also the first point for people 
applying for this position. So go ahead and um, attach your resumes. And uh, Justin, is there anything else that you want them submitting for somebody who does apply? I know we had talked about that a little bit before. Yeah, I think it's important to submit your, your CV or resume and, and clearly document uh, your past experience. And obviously you'll want to have at least uh, uh, the names of three references. Now, if you move to the next stage, we're going to probably ask for some letters from those references. But for now, I think just some names will suffice and their contact info. So we'll want to have three, three different uh, people who could be references. And we'll also want to have an essay. Um, but I don't need it to be a long essay, so don't uh, start writing a, a long uh, uh, entry here. I think for Sandra and I, please don't. <laughs> yeah, make make it concise. In fact, I think one page should should be the limit. Cool. And in that one page, I want you to articulate what floating has meant to you. And I'm going to keep it broad. I don't I don't necessarily need this to be about the position you're applying for. I don't need this to uh, necessarily be your own personal story, but I do need to know what floating has meant to you. And I think that's going to be a, a big part of, of how we're going to proceed forward with this, this recruitment process. Awesome. Is it okay if they submit a video application as well instead of a one-page essay? Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense, and it will give us a, a, a chance to actually, you know, talk uh, instead of just uh, reading about uh, uh, the person. Actually, get a sense of some of those more intuitive uh, personal connection things that we had discussed earlier. Mm -hmm. Cool, and and I don't think you have to choose one or the other. If you also want to write, feel free to to write uh, a one page essay along with it as well. Um, I would say the video should be under. I would say at least under 10 minutes, I think, is, is long enough to, to convey what, what we want to convey. Um, I, Justin, I, I promise this isn't a self-serving question, or at least the intention isn't, but I am curious why you are going through Sandra and I and why you think that is a good fit for applicants to go through. Well, I think, you know, um, you and Sandra have in many ways uh, been uh, uh, very important part of my introduction to floating in, in the very early days when I was just acclimating to what floating is, just starting to try out floating my first float conference back in 2013. You know, you guys really kind of helped uh, bring me into this community. Huh. And so I, I think a lot of my uh, strongest memories and, and really sort of most attached memories to the community come through you guys. And I think Part of that connection is really the, the, the notion that both of you guys understand it in a very implicit way. You know, there's, you, you just inherently get what we're all doing here, why we're all doing this. And that, that understanding, uh, you know, once again, cannot be taught. <laughs> it, it's, it, it just... You either have it or you don't, and eventually, uh, uh, um, you know, some people have in this community really clicked with that. But mm -hmm. it's it's a rare feature, I think, and and I really appreciate everything you guys do, and so I think it 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 would be a, a very nice sort of collaborative relationship between the float community and the research that is happening. Mm 
and a way to sort of bridge these two things, cool. these two divides, really. Wahoo. Excellent. Very exciting. <sighs> I Before we wrap up, I, I want to ask a little bit more about the um, clinical research that's that has started, correct? It is going on. Um, it is going can, on. And, and I know <laughs> I always feel like I'm dancing around on my tiptoes when I ask these questions. But really, I think I should just ask the questions and, and let you say what you want to say, which is, uh, so my question would simply be, you know, how's it looking? <laughs> and you can take that where well, you want to go. <laughs> what can you share? I, I would say that um, we're going to have a lot of really interesting results to present at the float conference because this year has been a very rich year in terms of clinical patients floating. Uh, Dr. Saeed Khalsa has uh, been continuing his study in women with anorexia nervosa. Okay. And uh, by the time of the float conference, that, that clinical, that first stage clinical trial should be completed. It's a very small study, but it's a safety study and it's important. Mm, okay. And uh, we've been studying the full spectrum of anxiety disorders. Um, as we mentioned earlier, people who suffer from PTSD or post-traumatic stress, mm -hmm. but also a range of different conditions like panic disorder or generalized anxiety disorder or social anxiety disorder. And we've been uh, really trying to understand how floating could affect these different conditions and whether it's the same effect across all of them. And so I would say that so far we've been very impressed by uh, um, the findings and, and the lack of negative effects. You know, we're very, mm -hmm. very cautious in our approach. We, we always do things uh, uh, in baby steps to make sure that we're not causing any harm to our, our patients. Mm -hmm. And I've been really actually uh, taken by the lack of harm that is coming from this altogether. There's really a very few negative side effects we've seen thus far. Now, with that said, there's still a lot more research to do, and the longitudinal research is very different than these short-term studies. Mm -hmm. And so it remains to be seen whether there are any safety issues that come mm -hmm. from floating. I think that's a, an open question, but thus far I've been very impressed by how safe it is as an intervention and the lack of any sort of side effects. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Lance, Amy, we have Dr. Justin Feinstein on the show. Do you have any, any follow-up questions before we wrap it up here? <laughs> All right, great. Oh, that was awesome. I, I, I just want to ask on sort of off-topic, but what about um, those with concussions? Um, I've, I've recently had a few people come in with concussions, and they've seemed to, seemed to, to do great with the float, but is there anything I should be worried about? Hmm. Um, having people with concussions floating? You know, it's, it's a great question. I don't have a definitive answer because, once again, there hasn't been any research done on this. But I think it's very clear that it makes sense. It could be helpful. You typically have a concussion. You go to your doctor, and the doctor's prescription is rest, mm -hmm. literally. <laughs> what do we do here? What do we do? <laughs> it's rest. Go into your bed. Shut off all the lights, draw the <laughs> curtains, reduce the stimulation to your brain, and rest. Now, mm -hmm. you have to worry in the acute stages after a brain injury of any sort of brain hemorrhage mm -hmm. or bleeding 
that could ultimately lead to, to death. I think that's always the big risk after a, an acute brain injury. Hmm. So certainly in those acute stages, I would not recommend it necessarily till the safety studies have been done. But once somebody is in sort of more the post-concussive state that, you know, it's, it's no longer this acute sort of uh, turmoil, but they're just having these lingering symptoms, it seems to me that it would make sense that this could be beneficial and it wouldn't have as much of a safety risk. But it's those acute stages that I think we need to do more research into the safety. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, very awesome and great question. I'm very <clears throat> curious about that as well. Justin, thank you so much, as always, for being on the show. I truly, genuinely appreciate you being as much of an open book as, as you possibly can be on our show. So thank you for sharing as much as you do. And uh, thanks for using our podcast as a, as a conduit to the float community and getting a new employee. Uh, what a, a phenomenal position at Liber that's going to be, I mean... For anybody in the industry knows the importance of this, and, and I think you've described the importance of it as well. It's, it's really monumental. Uh, and of course, the day-to-day -day isn't going to feel that way, of course. It's, it's going to be a lot of bookkeeping, phone calls, and connecting with, with I want to call them clients. I'm not uh, sure how you, how you refer to them. But uh, yeah, I just want to thank you so much. So, uh, Well, well do don't, don't thank me. Thank you, guys. And, and uh, <laughs> I think you know this float community is is really a vibrant community and mm -hmm. it continues to grow i've i've mm -hmm. been impressed by just the the the, the four years i've been around mm -hmm. and seeing it sort of blossom mm -hmm. and so um you know I'm, I'm i'm happy to actually finally at last integrate that into my laboratory i think <laughs> cool. that's the it's the one piece that's been missing actually from my laboratory most of the people who work in my lab are scientists or researchers and they don't have any background at all in floating, and they don't fully necessarily uh, understand it at an experiential level. Uh, some of them do, but some of them don't. And that's good, because you want objectivity in, in research. You want that uh, in, in the scientists. But at the same time, when you have a clinical trial coordinator and a person managing the lab, you really need that person to understand what you're doing. You need them to be very passionate in order to make the clinical trial be successful. So I think that uh, it makes a lot of sense that this would be somebody in the float community. So if you think you're that person, this is a, a really big opportunity and we would love to have you come join this team. Jobs at Float Shop, that's shop, S-H-O-P-P-E.com is where you want to email us. And again, it's L-I-B-R lab, man, lab manager is what you want to put in the subject line. That's Liber Lab Manager. And uh, we're excited to to receive your applications. Justin, just one last thing before we go here. How often do you float? At least once a week. I love that. If I go more than a week, I, I feel it. I could actually like, you know, get the, the sense, okay, it's it's time. <laughs> the rest of us owners could learn from you. <laughs> we don't get in there enough. Good enough for Justin, good enough for me. Uh, remember, everybody, there's an infinite amount to find in the presence of nothing, so spend some time there. We'll see you next week.